Good morning, y'all, and welcome to the Story Church. My name is Dylan Braddock. I'm the student coordinator here, and it is so great to be with y'all this morning. If you're a first-time visitor, or if it's been a while since you worshiped us, I just want to say welcome. We're really glad you're here, and we're glad you're um, hanging out with us. So I hope y'all had a great spring break. I hope y'all enjoyed getting out of town. Or if you were like me and did not have this made-up holiday off, I hope you enjoyed the beautiful weather. It was, it was a great week. Uh, we went to the rodeo two times in three days, which I wouldn't really recommend. I think one's enough, but it was still a blast. Um, but this week, I'm continuing our sermon series called The Purpose of Pain, and that is how Jesus makes sense of our suffering. So over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Kale and Pastor Eric have led us through the passion narrative, which are the events that lead up to Jesus's death on the cross. And Pastor Eric kicked us off two weeks ago with Judas's betrayal. And then Pastor Kale picked up last week with the agony in the garden. And today I am grabbing the torch and we are talking about abandonment, specifically Peter's abandonment of Jesus. If you don't know Peter, Peter was one of Jesus's main disciples, probably the best disciple in air quotes. Um, but even Peter denied Jesus three times a story that you're probably familiar with even if you didn't grow up in church. So this week, while y'all were in Florida hanging out at the beach, um, I had the fun task of agonizing over abandonment for like seven days straight. And to let you behind the curtain, the first two or three days of my sermon prep are always research days. So I pray, I read scripture, I listen to other theologians and pastors who talk about the same topic to see what they say about it. And I wanna share with y'all some of the research I found because I really wanted to differentiate the actions of Judas and the actions of Peter. Because betrayal and abandonment may seem similar on the surface, but they're actually quite different. So this first uh, picture I found really helps give me clarity on the relationship between Jesus and Judas. As you can see, scientists have actually discovered a fully restored painting of Jesus and Judas. If you don't watch Star Wars, I'm sorry, that's your fault. Um, next up, this one kind of gave me some information on the kind of betrayal that Judas committed. So as you can see here, Judas's biggest betrayal was never understanding personal space. Yeah, he would not have done well during COVID, not at all. And this third image really helped me understand Peter's denial, kind of how he denied Jesus. During a lively game of pickup basketball, Peter denies Jesus three times. Well, I wish that's kind of the denial Peter did, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and honestly, I couldn't be a student coordinator if my sermon had zero memes and zero star references in it. Star Wars references, I'm sorry. I didn't make the rules, I just follow them. I'm here doing my job. Um, and if you didn't get those memes, I promise your kids do, so ask them later. Um, but if the memes didn't do it for you, I wanna give you a definition of abandonment that I came up with this week to kind of help us talk about this topic. So abandonment, is the in-the-moment decision where despite your best intentions, you walk away. It's the in-the-moment decision where despite the best intentions, you walk away. So let's think about things that we might have abandoned in our lives. Let's start with small examples first. Um, who's ever abandoned a diet before? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Rolando raises. Let uh, me call you out, brother. But yeah, we've all done this, right? We say we're gonna go on a diet. I'm not gonna eat as many sweets. And then you go to your friend's birthday party and they bring out a whole tray of red velvet cupcakes. In that moment, 
you have no choice. You have to enjoy the cupcakes and you turn back on your commitment. Or what about me? Like for example, I try not to have more than two cups of coffee in a day. But sometimes you're writing a sermon and you have to go to the rodeo later that night. So you have five or six cups of coffee in the same day and you're shaking the whole time. It's great. Um, our more serious example, what about a Bible reading plan? Like you commit to reading one passage of scripture every single day and you have really good intentions to do it, but somewhere along the way you get off track, right? You have a new morning meeting that gets in the way or your kid has to be at school 45 minutes early for chess club. And despite the best intentions, you walk away from your commitment. And I think this definition does a pretty good job of describing what Peter does in Luke chapter 22, which we'll read here in a moment. Peter spontaneously turned his back on Jesus, not because he planned to, but because in the moment, he thought that was his only option. And the same thing does not apply to Judas, right? Because when we looked at Judas's betrayal, it was premeditated, it was calculated. He tried to cause pain to Jesus in order, in order to benefit himself. But both Judas and Peter's actions are equally severe but I would argue Peter's abandonment is more complex. Because as we will see, abandonment has future ramifications that we cannot always see. So I was talking to a student a couple of weeks ago at the Museum of Fine Arts right across the street from here. It was a beautiful afternoon, so we were sitting um, outside kind of in the porch they have. And the student was just kind of lamenting his senior year with me. He was talking about how his senior year has been the toughest year of his life. You know, when he watched TV and watched movies and go on the internet, everyone builds up senior year to be this incredible year, a year you'll never forget. Um, but when this student came back to school, he realized the friends they had two years ago were no longer there. Some had moved to different schools and some had moved on. He felt like he had been deserted, a uh, castaway on an island all by himself. He was a person without his people. And now he had no one to go to football games with, no one to go to prom with, no one to go to graduation with. And flat out, he was just bummed about what had happened. And I've seen this a lot in many of our middle school and high school students' lives. Friend groups at, at that age are very fickle. But aren't adult friendships as well? You're friends one day and the next day you don't hear from them. We struggle all the time with losing friends but it goes beyond just one friendship, right? It's actually proven that if you lose friends, it's harder to make friends in the future. Once you've been abandoned, it's hard to trust people again. And abandonment goes beyond just people, right? You can be abandoned by an institution. Over the last two elections, I heard countless people say, I've been abandoned by the government. Maybe you were abandoned by your company during COVID. Maybe your company left you hanging or didn't deal with you properly. Or maybe you've even been abandoned by a church. We don't like to admit it, but sometimes Christians are the worst at abandoning people. I have personal experience in this. My freshman year at Baylor, I was a super wide-eyed and excited freshman, and I was so excited to find a brand new church community to plug into. Like I was seeking it out. And thankfully, the first week, the new hip church in town invited me to church, and I like immediately got plugged in. This upperclassman would drive his like 1960s Ford Bronco to our dorm every Wednesday night, and like 16 guys would like jump in the back of that car, and he would drive us to church. 
And pretty quickly, I was plugged in in the Wednesday night group, Tuesday morning group, Sunday night group. I was all in to this church and I was loving it. Like, have you been there? Have you joined a new, ch new church? And you're just super excited to have this new family to hold you accountable and to love you? Well, unfortunately, they didn't stay that way forever. Um, they started doing signups for the spring break mission trip that was coming up in a few months. And this church was huge on international mission trips. So the expectation was that you went to this trip or you're not going to our church. And since I was a freshman, I was 18 years old, I had no idea what I was doing the next weekend. There's no way I could commit to a trip four months away. So I kind of started asking questions and pushing back on the idea of going on this mission trip. And as soon as I did that, things started to subtly change. I could tell they weren't comfortable with me asking questions or trying to dig deeper. And pretty quickly, the text stopped coming, the ride to Penland stopped coming to pick me up, and before I knew it, I felt like I was completely deserted by this brand new church community. The pain I experienced from being cast off didn't only hurt in that moment, but it hurt for years to come. I didn't actively out, seek out another church for two years. I was checked out. Sure, I would try out a new church every Sunday morning, but I wasn't seeking anything past the surface level pleasantries. I wasn't trying to get plugged in. I wasn't seeking community. And this is what abandonment does. Abandonment compounds on itself and pushes you further and further away from meaningful connections. If I pulled this room right now, I bet many of you are struggling with pain from past abandonment. Maybe you were discarded by a parent who left you when you were younger. Maybe you were left by a child who went to college and forgot about you. Maybe a friend walked away in your greatest moment of need. Maybe a company didn't care about you. Or maybe even a church pushed you away when you needed them most. I want you to know I understand that pain. That pain is real, but we also serve a God who understands that pain. Because our God did not choose to stay distant from our suffering, but he came down to suffer with and for us. So if you all have your Bibles, now is the time you can open them to Luke chapter 22. If not, there's some handy dandy Bibles right in front of you. Grab one of those. And as I said, we'll go into Luke uh, chapter 22. So just to get us set up, um, I'm gonna read first in verse 31, which is actually a conversation that happened right after the Lord's Supper, or right after the Last Supper, before the garden. So this is a conversation that Peter and Jesus have on the side before they go to the garden. And we're gonna read this passage to understand kind of the depth of Peter's denial, but more importantly, how purpose and redemption can come after abandonment. So I'll pick up in verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, which is another name for Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, and this is Peter replying, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. That is a pretty fascinating passage in a bunch of areas. The first thing that sticks out to me is verse 
31, where Jesus says that Satan is going to sift through all the disciples like wheat. You know, when we usually read these stories, we think the Roman authorities and the Jewish high priest were the one pulling the strings. But here Jesus lets us know that there's a very real spiritual component. Like Satan is working on the disciples. He already worked on Judas. We saw that in chapter 22, verse 3. But he's also working on each of the disciples. There's a spiritual component to the abandonment that is about to happen. Everyone will be tested, shaken, and exposed. But in response to this upcoming test, Peter boldly says, Jesus, I am going to follow you to prison and to death which is a pretty awesome comeback line, right? Like Peter nails it here. He says, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm gonna be right there with you. But as I kind of opened with, we know that Peter doesn't follow through on this. He ends up denying Jesus three times a few hours later. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you believe Peter when he says this? When Peter says, I wanna follow you to prison and to death, do you believe him? Is he being sincere? Or do you think he planned on scattering at the first moment he could? I believe him. I agree with you. I think he is very sincere on what he's feeling there in that moment. I mean, if you look at Peter's character, he's always the bold disciple, right? He's the first one to say, Jesus, you are Lord, which is a pretty big statement. He's also the only disciple to jump out of the boat and walk on water when Jesus invites them out there. I mean, this is Peter's character. And I also don't think he's naive of what's about to happen in this garden. How do I know this? Because Peter takes a sword to the prayer night. I mean, we have prayer nights here at the story and people rarely bring swords to our prayer nights, which is good. Please don't bring swords to our next prayer night. Um, But Peter brings a sword to the garden because he knows what's about to go down, right? He knows things are about to come to a head. So I do think Peter was being sincere when he said, I'm gonna follow Jesus to prison and to death. And he wasn't naive of the situation, but maybe he was naive of his own faithfulness, right? Peter failed because he overestimated what he would do for God. And in the process, he underestimated what God would do for him. How often do we do that? We overestimate the things we will give to God while overlooking the things that God has already done for us. And Jesus is right. As soon as we fast forward to the garden, in a few hours, all the disciples are tested. And literally, as soon as the chains are put onto Jesus's hand, all of the disciples scatter. They all run and hide. And in Jesus' darkest moment, his friends, the guys he had chosen, the guys he had discipled, the guys who he had eaten meals, he had ate meal, meals with and walked with for three years, just up and left him. I want to assure you that Jesus understands what your abandonment feels like. He's been there. He knows. So let's pick up now in verse 54 to see how Peter responds. Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it'll also be on the screen if you need it. Then seizing him, they led him away, him being Jesus, and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him. 
and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Man, it's a brutal scene to read through, especially after hearing Peter boldly proclaim a few verses later that he would be there till the end. And you have to remember that Peter saw Judas betray Jesus. And I'm sure as he was watching Judas betray Jesus, he thought, I would never do that. I would never turn my back on my Lord and Savior. But here in this passage, he does it. Not once, not twice, but three times. And if you notice, kind of each denial gets worse. The first denial is a servant girl sitting by him at the fire. And she probably just says under her breath, like, I think this might be one of them. And of course, Peter butts in and says, no, no, not me. And then another guy calls him out and he says, man, I do not know him. And the third time, someone catches his accent and knows he's from the region of Galilee where Jesus' ministry started at. So they got him caught. They know he was one of the disciples. But once again, Peter replies, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And in the Greek, the harshness of each of these replies gets stronger and stronger. So in this third denial, Peter's basically yelling. He's cussing. He's saying, I do not know this man. And in that moment, the rooster crows. And it's like an alarm clock immediately waking up Peter from this nightmare that he was living. And after Peter had tripled down on this abandonment and looks into the face of Christ, he realizes he has nothing left to give. And he walks outside and weeps bitterly all by himself. And Peter illustrates to us perfectly in this text how abandonment leads to further abandonment. It always does. Abandonment leads to further abandonment. And it doesn't matter if you were the abandoner or you were the one who've been abandoned. Both parties suffer further isolation. And it's not just that one relationship, but there's also ripple effects. Because after this denial, Peter doesn't only leave Jesus, but he actually leaves the disciples. We know this because in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, once Jesus is resurrected, he tells the women, go find the disciples and Peter. Jesus has to say, and Peter, because he knows Peter is no longer with the disciples. Because after this moment, Peter checks out. He regresses back to his old way of life and even picks up fishing again. Peter dealt with abandonment the same way many of us do. We either overlook it, we detach ourselves from the situation completely, or we just completely give up on the person, or maybe even give up on ourselves. But as always, Jesus shows us a different way to deal with abandonment that can lead to true redemption. So I wanna go over the three things Jesus does real quickly. 
First off, Jesus doesn't overlook abandonment. He addresses it with compassion. And that compassion part is key. If you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, there's that heartbreaking detail that Jesus looks straight into the eyes of Peter and Peter remembers. This week, I was thinking like, what did that look look like? Like, what was Jesus's look when he looked into the eyes of Peter? Was it a look of judgment? I don't think so. Was it an I told you so look? No, I don't think it's that either. The more I sat with this text, I think it was actually a look of compassion. Jesus looked into the eyes of the man who abandoned him and gave him compassion. And I believe this because if you look at Jesus's ministry, that was the hallmark of it, of giving compassion to the people around him. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Jesus had compassion on the sick, on the lame, on the sinners. Jesus even had compassion on the city of Jerusalem. When he came into the city that was gonna slay him, he wept over it. Even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he forgave the men who was crucifying him. Jesus always looked with compassion and he always gave people not what they deserved, but what they needed. What would it look like for us to give that same compassion to the people who have left us? I'm not gonna tell you it's easy. It's very difficult, but it's the only way that we can find healing. And I think Jesus helps us understand how we do this because Jesus teaches us that we first have to understand our own sin. We have to understand our own humanity and our own brokenness and realize how much mercy we've received from God and from others. And once you've felt and received that mercy, then you can offer it to others, but you first have to receive it yourself. You have to let Jesus look onto you with compassion, and then you can share that compassion with others. The second key is that Jesus doesn't detach himself from the situation, but he suffers for us. Jesus doesn't detach, but he suffers for us. As we see with Peter, abandonment often leads to detachment, so leaving a situation. And in a post-COVID world, I have caught myself doing this a lot. We all have COVID PTSD, where we basically mourn all the friendships we lost. We wish things would go back to the way they used to be. And we're dealing with all this pain from friend groups we lost, church groups we lost. Maybe before the pandemic, you had a really thriving small group, or you had a group of women who would meet on Wednesday for lunch, or a group of guys who would grab coffee on Thursday mornings. But for some reason during the pandemic, all these groups kind of just fizzled out, right? It was no one's fault. We all had good intentions, but you just couldn't keep meeting anymore. And what's worse is we haven't just lost these groups, but if I'm speaking for myself, I feel like we're not even seeking them out anymore. We've kind of given up on intimacy. We've given up on going deeper, and now we're just fine with the pleasantries, right? With the small talk. But as Christians, I don't think we're ever called to disengage with the world. I don't think we're called to disengage with things that don't add value to our lives. I think we're called to engage and even suffer for the people around us. Now is the time that we need to press in on relationships that we might've lost. So think about it. Who are people, who are groups in your life that you have kind of let walk over the last two years? And how can you fight 
How can you suffer for them in order to bring them back together? Maybe it's even your relationship with Jesus that you've given up on in the last two years. Maybe you've given up on your faith. Maybe the pain has been so severe that you feel like you can't walk with the Lord any longer. Well, the good news is every time that we take a step back from Jesus, he always takes a step towards us. And he is always willing to meet you wherever you're at. You just have to be honest with the Lord and take it to him. And this leads right into our third key, which is Jesus doesn't give up on you, but he redeems abandonment. Jesus will never give up on you and he will redeem your loneliness. Jesus knew for a fact that Peter would leave him. He predicted exactly how many times it would happen and he even predicted exactly when it would happen. But if you notice, he also predicted Peter's restoration. If you remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus said, after you failed me, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. He didn't say if you turn back or possibly you'll turn back. He said, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter, like I said, had abandoned his disciples and went back to fishing. And in John 21, there's this really beautiful scene where Jesus is on the beach hanging out after he resurrected. And he sees Peter in his fishing boat and he kind of waves him over. And as soon as Peter realizes it's Jesus on the shore, Peter immediately jumps out of the boat and swims over to Jesus as fast as he can. The two share breakfast there on the beach. And then Jesus looks straight into the eyes of Peter, straight into the eyes of the guy who abandoned him. And what does he do? He restores him. He redeems him. And he proves that there was a purpose behind the pain that both Peter and Jesus experienced. Peter's abandonment actually ended up radically transforming his life. And after this conversation, Peter would never be the same person. Because in this moment, Peter finally realized the ugliness of his own sin. But in doing that, that made room for him to see the goodness of God in a way that he had never seen before. He finally got it. Because on the cross, Jesus actually models a totally different kind of abandonment. And that is abandonment to God. Everyone's favorite memory verse is John 3:16, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That first part is so key. It says, for God loved the world so much that he gave, that God gave of himself for each and every one of us. Writer Oswald Chamberlain has this awesome quote on John 3:16 and this idea of abandonment to God. And I wanna share it with you guys. He says, you will never know anything about abandonment until you've realized John 3.16 means that God gave himself absolutely. In our abandonment, we give ourselves over to God just as God gave himself for us without any calculation. So God gave 
of himself completely. God gave absolutely. God gave wholly to us, understanding the pain he would go through and understanding that each and every one of us would turn our back on him. Jesus understood what it would cost him, but he still walked to the cross for each and every one of us. And this is the realization that totally transforms Peter's life, and it's the realization that can totally transform your life this morning. Because as I said, from this point on, Peter's life was never the same. What's really cool about the Gospel of Luke is there's actually a part two called the Book of Acts, and it tells the acts of the apostles once Jesus ascends into heaven. And the next time we meet Peter is in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. And Peter goes back to Jerusalem, back to the very city he denied Christ. And in Jerusalem, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he preaches to the whole entire city. He is so filled with joy from the Holy Spirit that he preaches, Jesus has rose from the dead and he is Lord. And on that day, 3,000 people joined the church in Jerusalem. That must have been a heck of a sermon, right? 3,000 people in one altar call. But how could the man go from denying Jesus three times a couple weeks ago and then preaching to 3,000? Like that's a pretty radical transformation, is it not? The reason is because Peter finally went all in with God. He finally gave it all over to him and he finally gave Jesus everything. And in the end, Peter actually did stay true to his word. He did follow Jesus to prison and was eventually killed because of his faith. Jesus and Peter clearly show us that abandonment to God is a radical act. It's a really radical thing to do. This is being a, abandoning your life to God is not just going to church for two hours on a Sunday morning. It is so much more than that. Abandoning your life to God is giving him your dreams, giving him your desires, giving him your career goals, giving him your family, even giving him your life. If I'm being honest with you guys this morning, I'm not there yet. I am not living a life where I am completely abandoned to the will of God. I'm just not. There's still so many things I hold on to that are simply here today and gone tomorrow. For example, my pride. My pride is always eating at me. And more than that, it's my desire just to please people. Like I am driven by this desire to make others happy. And it even applies to me like right now. Like I want you guys to like me. I want you to think my sermon was funny and convicting and cool. And I want you to go home and like share it on Facebook with your friends. Like that's truly how I feel, but that, that is not good. I'm so often just driven by this desire to please others that I forget that my only goal should be to please the Father. I shouldn't be worried about you guys. I should be worrying about my God and heaven. So for me, what abandonment would look like would be me standing up here and telling you the gospel if you like it or not. It would be me standing up here if you like me or not. And I'll be honest, I'm not there yet, so please be nice to me. But, but one day, I truly hope that I'm faithful enough to live and preach for an audience of one. That's my goal. 
and I'm striving towards it each and every day. When my church family abandoned me back in college, I felt like community wasn't worth pursuing anymore. I thought this Christian life could be done solo and I could figure it out all by myself. I thought the perfect church was just a myth and I could do it all alone. I know firsthand what it's like to put up walls, how to waste years in resentment, anger, and fear. I know what that feels like. But I also know from firsthand experience what it feels like for God to redeem your pain. Because God, two years later, led me to that church I needed, the church that loved me, the church that let me ask questions, and the church that trained and equipped me and literally led me to the podium I'm standing on today. Without them, I honestly wouldn't be here. And I eventually realized that I was kind of right. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Christians will let you down, but we do serve a perfect savior. Jesus showed real compassion to me when I was all alone. And in Jesus, I found a savior that I will not only suffer with and for me, but one that will repurpose all my pain and suffering for his glory. You just have to let him in. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this community of Christians here together, worshiping your name. God, and we admit, we confess, God, we don't always get it right. We mess up. We leave people hanging, God. But I pray that you press us more and more towards you each and every day. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who literally gave it all for me. He gave it all for us, completely, absolutely poured himself out on the cross for us. I pray, God, that we'd be able to understand that form of abandonment and begin to live lives that are wholly and completely abandoned to you. We know we cannot do this on our own, God, so we pray you give us the Holy Spirit that will walk with us step by step and lead us in this path of sanctification. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.